0: I'm Regina Bottras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond. And my guest for this podcast is Imogen Sage. She is in Claudel in the titular role of this sculptor set in France in the late 1800s into the 1900s on stage at the Opera House at the moment. She's my guest Imogen has studied overseas and has been in roles from Vojcik to The Three Sisters, A Streetcar Named Desire and Romeo and Juliet. She's performed downstairs at Belvoir Theatre, MTC, overseas and has been in many films as well as voicing many audiobooks. Let's get into the backstory of the actor playing the artist Imogen Sage. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, So I know you've studied overseas. Where did you start life? Was it kind of a creative family? What was it
1: like? It was definitely a creative family. My mother was an actor and then moved into drama teaching and directing. So I would go to her rehearsals as a Kid and sit there with a blanket and my toys and watch <laughs> and watch them rehearse and would shout out lines when the actors forgot their lines.
0: Are you kidding? That's fantastic. What were some of the things you remember her directing or, or you know getting them to put on?
1: She was mainly at that time we'd moved away from the city and she was kind of restarting her life in a way, and um so she was doing a lot of kind of indie theatre as an actor more so and so that was just really yeah I loved it I loved um it was all sorts of different kinds of you know new Australian writing as well as she did Lady Macbeth and I um played the gentle woman her kind of nurse (laughs) so that was fun but I did have to kind of then reject acting a little bit to find it for myself um later later in my teens you know I had to kind of separate from her I think and find my own life and and then strangely I ended up back in the same space as her (laughs) strangely but
0: also seems to make so much sense so what was the first role then do you remember did you perform as a child as then as well
1: I I just did lots of drama classes Mm. and and you know loved that but and then I actually did some writing I would love to write short plays and put them on you know at school for drama so yeah it was mostly new new stuff that we were creating ourselves
0: yeah so how did she feel about it was she like no don't go into the theater you know it's a hard you know world or what
1: I think it was a bit of both I think it was both that it was what she knew so she couldn't help but encourage me because it she loved it as well but then at the same time she was (laughs) yes concerned
0: (laughs) indeed because it is a hard life to I mean it's a great life but um you I know you've studied overseas how did you before that what how did you start
1: well I I was studying journalism so that's when I you know really decided no I'm doing something equally as challenging but different yeah (laughs) Um, and so I studied I was studying journalism in Melbourne, but I couldn't help but continue doing little indie shows in Melbourne. So I did a a little show at La Mama Theatre there. And then I ended up um, taking, I deferred my course for six months and went overseas to Europe and, and ended up seeing loads of theatre in Europe and um, doing a Shakespeare intensive at at the Central School of Speech and Drama in London, just for two weeks. And then I came back and I auditioned for Romeo and Juliet and, and got to play Juliet around Australia for a few months. So it, that was really my first professional paid acting job with a company called the Central Theatre in Victoria. And so then from there, I just had the bug and I, I couldn't really go back to uni so I auditioned for that same drama school in London and I got in and that was a huge life change because I, I kind of auditioned thinking I'll just audition for practice and then I might audition for some schools in Australia but then when I got in I thought well how could I not go it's London and I think I wanted to get out of Australia and have a change and it was a wonderful time it was I was there for five years so it was pretty um a big time for three years at drama school and then I worked in the theater mostly for two years I would have stayed I I was loving it and I have a whole community there of people but I had a visa issue unfortunately just bureaucracy and (laughs) all of that stuff so I couldn't renew my visa and I had to turn down a big big job in the West End and um come back but but at the same time I was I was very sad to leave, but I was also grateful because I had been thinking about coming back, but I, I wasn't quite ready for it to be pulled away from me in that way. I think in a way, looking back, it was I'm grateful for that because I don't know if I would have come back otherwise. And it's wonderful to be here.
0: And, yeah, fortunately now it's probably better to be here. Oh, definitely um, now. Yeah. yeah. Forced upon you, but, yeah. So... Tell me what it's like
1: there, the theater world there. Like, mm, it's just it, yeah. so. I mean, it it was so vibrant and stimulating. It's kind of constantly stimulating, you know. It's very expensive as well, though, so it's really hard to survive financially there, especially as an artist, you know. Um, as a student and then coming out of drama school, it's it's very difficult for a lot of people and you have to kind of find very strange jobs <laughs> that you, you know, but what's great is there's a such a big community, you know, half of London is, is you know you say oh I'm an actor and everyone goes uh huh <laughs> of course you are <laughs> but there's something really nice about that too because you, you just feel so much that you belong and that arts the arts are so important and and you feel so validated there where, whereas I do think in Australia it's a little bit harder when you say you're an actor, people say, oh, what have I seen you in Neighbours? <laughs> so it's it's slightly different, not so much, you know, in the inner city, but I think just generally the, the the arts culture is different in London. It's just so heaving.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about Claudel. Did you know about the artist Camille Claudel? No. no I sadly no.
1: did not know about mm. her, which I feel very ashamed about, but I think it's the same for lots of people. You know, obviously I knew about... Auguste Rodin who she had a tumultuous affair with (laughs) but um, (laughs) I didn't know I think I may have even seen her work without really uh taking that on in in Paris I might have seen her work but yeah she's a fascinating woman and artist I think she was incredibly ambitious and her work is beautifully expressive and very raw very emotional
0: reflective of her experiences
1: I think so and yes and and I've learned I've read a lot about her well as much as you can because there isn't a lot that you can she's unfortunately a lot of letters have been lost so Uh so it's hard to really find out a a huge amount about her but um there is still a decent amount from her, her brother Paul who was a writer and a poet so he he has written a little bit about her and, um, but because she had a very difficult life, she was very artistic and probably, probably already slightly unstable as a person, you know, being an artist um, in that society as a woman, but, but then also the events that happened to her, um, which started off with um, meeting Rodin quite early in her life and, and begin, beginning a, a long-term affair with him and just how that both probably supported her artistically in some ways, but also um, I think really got in in her way as well because um, he's such a big presence, you know, with so much influence mm. and power. And so she was working a lot for him. She was, um, she was actually working a lot on his commissions uh, and a lot of the hands and feet of his sculptures apparently are her work um so she was obviously getting paid for that but you know not recognized um and then as things kind of deteriorated between them I think her mental health declined and as well as that her family were, became less and less supportive of her uh unconventional lifestyle and her artistry which is really sad because she was very talented so it it all culminated in her having quite a severe breakdown uh well probably a couple of breakdowns over over a period of time and once her father had died her family institutionalized her in an asylum where she lived out the rest of her life
0: Mm. so it's a very
1: sad story i forget what your question was Mm.
0: A usually well I was gonna say what did you find out but I think you answered that like I said what did you know about her but what did you find out um I just love that there are the the dance or the sculptures on stage in the physical form but there's one particular moment and I think it's okay to talk about it but it's a uh, when when there's a an abortion on stage and there's a woman that is um, that went partly your shadow playing you and then the physical kind of yeah kind of, an
1: embodiment uh, of the abortion yeah. Exactly.
0: Can you talk talk to me about like working on stage in that way with dancers around you and that space, space? Yeah,
1: it's it was a really it's one of my favorite moments in the play. And I love that it kind of it's a moment that transcends speech you know that we have to go to somewhere physical to really express what that was because obviously abortions were very dangerous life-threatening experiences back then what Meryl Tankard the choreographer is just so wonderful and I was just guided you know gently in rehearsals to embody that experience and Meryl was saying you know just you have to really breathe the experience of you know if you're not doing these movements because obviously I'm not a dancer so I I was at first probably just doing the moves and she was like, no, you really have to embody that Mm -mm. this is, you're going to this room and then you're getting down and you're lifting up your skirt and, you know, you're, you're in that experience of that fear. And so when we're walking into the space, me and Chloe, the dancer, we're really breathing together. Mm. We really, and that's a really big part of it that we're both breathing together and we're very close to each other physically so we can really feel each other's presence as we're walking into the space for that moment and yes it's very synchronized so she's really embodying that emotionally as well and I can feel that um, from her next to me and we kind of an entangled kind of experience together but it's very invasive it was invasive but I feel very comfortable Chloe's a wonderful dancer and it's I think she really shines in that in that scene um so I'm very happy to lie down on the floor and you know give my body over to that moment <laughs> <laughs> it is
0: a very birthing kind of moment as well I mean you know it's that the, the, the birth and death together, but through the breath. Could you talk a bit, little bit about just for the listeners, about the, the times that she was living in and how there are those restrictions for women and now looking at it? I obviously. think,
1: I mean, even just wearing a corset is mm. the thing that's making me think about how, you know, even that restriction is something that affects your, you know, it affects the way you breathe even and the way you move. Um, but then obviously being an artist in that time for anyone, one but especially as a as a woman was I think all female artists at that time would have had to be really quite bolshy and quite ambitious because it just was so going against the grain even if you were from a you know wealthy family or a kind of educated family it just would have been so um not not what society everything's against you (laughs) yeah everything's against you so you'd have to really believe in art and believe in your own art. And that, that's just, there was a lot of, yeah, there was there were quite a few female artists that we also don't know about from that time. And, and as well as that black female artists, um, it was, and they're all studying together. Um, you know, they'd go to Paris or places like Paris, Rome and study together. And um, yeah, I think probably there was a bit of a, a sisterhood. Well, that's how I would hope to think of that there would be a kind of sisterhood there of, of women because they weren't allowed to um, study at the males at the schools with men so they in fact um, Camille and her friend Jessie Lipscomb um, they they hired their own studio and and got um, a sculptor Alfred Boucher to come and teach them so They had that kind of initiative, you know, they were just so determined. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was also a very Catholic society and uh, I think Camille's family were incredibly Catholic and and she had a very Catholic mother who I don't think, at least in the way that we're portraying her story, I don't think her mother was very happy with her um, lifestyle Mm -hmm. or her, her work and probably wanted a a much more conventional life for her, Um, which is understandable. I think, you know, you want your children to be safe. And so I think that's what she was wanting really. Um, But there was probably some other things going on there for her. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, Camille was definitely not safe. She was very, she was very, yeah, very ambitious, very in whether driven. it was in love yeah. with, whether it was in love with Rodan or, or driven or a bit of both, um, we don't really know. Mm. There are different ways of telling that story. This version is a love story, but there's also power dynamics that we explore um, in their age gap and in their, you know, differences in their where they're at in their careers mm. and, um, yeah, I just can't imagine how how hard it was and then how much you know there'd be so much gossip around as well if you were having an affair with um Auguste Rodin who obviously was known to sleep with lots of women Mm. there'd be so much gossip And, and I think she often she was sometimes invited to um show her work alongside his you know in exhibitions and she would refuse because she didn't want to be seen as um involved with him she wanted to be seen in her own right as an artist and I think actually you can really see a difference between her work before she starts to separate from him and afterwards I think when she's with him the work is beautiful but maybe um, slightly more Rodanish, you know more mm-hmm. inspired probably they were inspiring each other a lot I think and then I think it seems almost that she maybe wanted to assert herself differently or maybe the change in her life and the loss of everything there influenced, you know, a different style that was maybe more raw and, and, and yeah, different. There was, uh, she was, became more interested in, um, outdoor settings and, um, and group setting, group experiences and um, and clo- clothing rather than nudity. So there was, yeah, some differences that she started to explore in her work. The, yeah. the other huge thing was obviously the asylum was not a, you know, healthy, safe, supportive space. It was really a space where anyone that they didn't really know what diagnosis someone had, but anyone that seemed off in some way, you know, they'd just be chucked in there and, Kind of forgotten about, and it was incredibly unhygienic, and you know, not not at all supportive. So no. I think that's just another aspect of that that world in that time.
0: It would have been horrific.
1: It just be horrific.
0: Oh, did you find out about other um, female artists
1: of the time? Yeah. Well, I'm mostly uh, well, I did find out about some talented women who also ended up in asylums yeah so that was really challenging to read about just the experiences that they had and you know sometimes they were they just had depression or for, for very good reasons mm. you, know, you just read about a lot of women's lifestyles there and it's understandable that anyone would have a breakdown because it just doesn't seem like Depressing. the best yeah mm. it doesn't seem like a great time for for women in many ways. But in general, I think I just really focused on on Camille. But I did read about the women around her, including some of the black artists that she was working alongside, and as well as Edmonia Lewis, who's referenced in the play, who was who a bit older than them, another black artist, um, sculptor, who was doing quite well. And it's really nice to remember that. Yeah there were people from everywhere were making work and Jessie Libskam who who was a British sculptor who was working with her.
0: Well it does really get that kind of sisterhood feeling to in the production. Um yeah. so it's a, it's a, well I don't know if is it a leap it's not really a leap from Shakespeare to Claudel, but um it's the, I mean you ended up doing a lot of Shakespeare, and obviously you said Romeo and Juliet and touring, and that must have been really um, instrumental in in the, the the actor's muscle, like working so regularly and often touring. Now, what's what's next, I suppose, and what do you love about Shakespeare, I suppose, too?
1: It's so funny that because, firstly, of course, I love Shakespeare, and it is why, it admittedly, it is why I went to London because I'm such a geek for Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> And I wanted to be around there. but to be honest, actually, it's f- funny. I did a lot of Shakespeare at drama school, and yes, before drama school, they actually haven't done any Shakespeare since drama school. But I think what? there was an article written about me last year when I was in a film. And yes, <laughs> yes dark noise. noise. said that I, yeah, dark, dark noise, dark, and noise. um, and and it said that I, you know, was. Uh, doing lots of British Shakespearean work <laughs> yeah, actually haven't done a lot but um <laughs> but I've done a lot of classical theatre so I think probably yeah. that's what that's what they meant so yes I have done a lot of classical theatre and funnily enough I will be in a Shakespeare after this but I'm not sure if I can say what it is yet okay. because it hasn't been announced but oh, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I finally do get to do some Shakespeare and live up to the, um... your reputation <laughs> precedes yeah, you
0: memory. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh well Imogen Sage thank you so much for joining me thank you so much it has been a pleasure and I have mentioned that you also do audio books which I can tell by your voice and obviously film as well as stage well thank you for joining me again
1: thank you so much thank you